Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 40. This is now the third chapter in the Lord's response to Brother Job. The first two verses are really the conclusion of the first part of the speech. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Again, our first job is to figure out what tone we should assign to those words. The translation is a bit tricky here, which complicates our efforts. The Hebrew words used here could just as easily be translated, Shall an instructor chide the Almighty? He who corrects God, let him begin to speak. Basically, God is saying here that Job has thought himself capable of questioning how God runs the universe. Well then, Job, by all means, tell me how I ought to be doing my job. Tremper Longman III imagines that God sounds offended here. He says, God sounds offended that Job would think to instruct him. And no wonder, considering who God is, as demonstrated throughout the first speech, and who Job is, a mere creature, closed quote. Again, Francis Anderson has a more optimistic appraisal. He says, the question is ironical, of course, but in view of the friendly tone of the speeches, it is not at all snide. Once again, I feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle I don't think God is offended, but I also imagine that there's a bit of frost in his voice. Like a father might say to his teenage son, do you even understand how the family budget is put together? Have you ever paid a water bill or made a mortgage payment in your life? Are you capable of telling me how much I should be spending on this or that? A dad could say things like that with love and a bit of frost at the same time. And I imagine that Job was hearing a bit of both of those things at the same time as well. Verse 3 seems to indicate as much. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Here, Job admits that he is out of his league here. I am not qualified to be speaking on these matters. I've obviously said too much already, and I have no intention of repeating that mistake. Good answer. Job at least has the wisdom to stop talking. He isn't yet at the place of true repentance, but he's about halfway there. He has stopped complaining, even if he hasn't yet come to the place of full trust and acceptance. So, God keeps talking. If Job doesn't have any more questions for God, then God has some more questions for Job. Verse 6, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Again, this sounds like a dad. It sounds like my dad anyway. I can literally hear my dad saying, Okay, big boy, if you want to have a grown-up conversation, then let's do it. Let's talk about what it takes to run a household. And then after that, if you have any further questions about my management style, I'd be happy to hear those. I think I actually had this conversation with my dad at some point in my teenage years, so this tone makes sense to me. 
Verse 8. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Now let's just pause so that we can understand that expression. All the commentators seem to agree here that the expression, an arm like God, refers to the execution of judicial decisions. In Israelite society, the judge who gave the sentence had to see that justice was done. If you condemn a man, then you have to wield the axe that takes off his head. Are you that guy, Job? Are you able to execute justice? Or are you just an armchair critic? Verse 10. Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Do you, do you want to do my job, Job? Then do it. Decide when to pour out your wrath. Decide when to pull down the proud. Decide when to pull the rug out from under the wicked and when to drag them all down to hell. Do, do you think it's easy to make those kinds of decisions, Job? Do my job for a week and then I'll evaluate you. But you can't do my job, can you? takes wisdom and power to run a universe like this one. And now God begins to talk about why that is. Verse 15, Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He's the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. So here God talks about behemoth. And scholars and commentators disagree amongst themselves as to how we ought to understand this word. The word behemoth is simply the plural of the Hebrew word for beast. So some see this as the plural of majesty, making behemoth the king of beasts or the beast of all beasts, the ultimate land animal, however you want to understand that. Those who take the word in this way often propose the hippopotamus as the actual animal in view. He is a massive animal who eats grass and who cannot be controlled by people. So that may be it. Others understand this in more of a mythical sense that God is speaking in poetic hyperbole as if to say, can you control the most fearsome beast that you can imagine in all creation without necessarily having any particular animal in mind. And you can find good, faithful commentators on both sides of that conversation, but it seems to me that a slight majority favor the idea that a specific animal is in mind. And among those folks, the hippopotamus tends to be the most common animal suggested. Verse 20, for the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he's not frightened, he's confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. 
Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Again, all of these questions are really just one question. Are you the creator or are you a creature? If you can't manage a creature like Behemoth, then how could you be the creator? You, you must be a fellow creature. And a creature with some fairly obvious limitations. Therefore, on what basis do you question me? That is really the issue here. Job had expressed concerns with how God was running the universe. He, he spoke about things he really had no understanding of. Francis Anderson does a great job of helping us understand the point in this entire dialogue. The meaning is fairly easy to understand. As I said, this is all about God helping Job see his place in the universe. So that's what it means. But how is it helpful? Why is it here? That's a slightly different question. And Anderson provides a very useful answer. He says, it brings Job to the end of his quest by convincing him that he may and must hand the whole matter over completely to God more trustingly, less fretfully, and do it without insisting that God should first answer all his questions and give him a formal acquittal. Here, if we have rightly found the heart of the theology of the whole book, is a very great depth. There is a rebuke in it for any person who by complaining about particular events in his life implies that he could propose to God better ways of running the universe than those God currently uses. Closed quote. I think that's it exactly. God is trying to get Job to the place where he will trust God even in the dark. That's why God never explains what is actually going on behind the scenes. The goal here from God's perspective is to get Job to trust him even when he doesn't understand why things are happening the way they are. Because we can never know. We will never know, not until we get to the other side in eternity. And if we're only going to love and obey God when things make sense to us or work out in ways that we approve of, then that's not faith. That isn't trust. That is just us continuing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, deciding right and wrong for ourselves as if we were God. But faith is trusting God even in the dark. And that is why God isn't explaining things to Job. He is showing Job that only God should be entrusted with the care and supervision of the universe. Do you trust me, Job? That is the question behind all these other questions. And that is the question that every human being has to answer at some point or another in their life. Do you trust in my word? Do you trust that I see the whole board? Do you trust that all things work together for good for those who are called according to my purpose? That is the question. That is the challenge. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. 
You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.